0: she is,
1: Captain. Isn't she a beauty? Yes, she is, Mr. Scott. Is she ready to go?
0: Aye, sir.
1: She's ready to go to the stars. Is the Tri Tech Games Podcast. Its mission to seek out new ideas, find new games, and to boldly bring the awesome to your game. Mr. Scott, Warp 9. I,
0: Captain. <laughs> and now, our host.
2: This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trab.
0: This is Pixie.
2: Welcome to the Tri Tac Games podcast, your podcast of seeking deep under the sea to find out what terrors d- dwell within and realizing that your umbilical cord is only enough to get you to the bottom of the pool. Oh,
1: release the <laughs> Kamakin.
2: We're going to need a bigger boat.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: There you go. Welcome to the TriTech Games Podcast. This is a follow-up to our earlier podcast where we talked about Bureau 13 and adventures that could take place underwater, especially under the sea. So we talked an awful lot about the various kinds of adventures, but we really didn't get into the – I don't want to use the word nitty-gritty because that's not what we're really about. At least I'm How not. we're
0: going to go about doing it.
2: Well, you know, something about the tech and about maybe some strategies about doing things like that. So uh, with uh, not too much ado, uh, we're going to go ahead and move on to uh, our topic of methods of surviving underwater. Pixie, that you uh, know a lot about uh, certain kinds of magical means of surviving. Why don't you tell us about those?
0: Okay, fine. <laughs> Alright, you have listed your thing, or whatever. Yes. Yeah.
2: Or anything else that you might have come up with.
0: Gillyweed. Now, that featured prominently in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, being as he used, as Harry used it to go into the Black Lake.
3: Um, how would it work exactly?
0: It's a magical plant. You ate the plant, and for a specific duration, probably depending on the amount of plant, you have gills and webbed fingers and feet.
2: Okay. So does this work for anybody, or did you have to like cast a spell as you ingested it?
0: It is... In the plant itself.
3: Okay, so even a muggle could use it if need be.
0: Um, or
2: your average bureaucratic agent. I don't think
0: it would work on a muggle because they don't have... It probably reacts with the magic in a person. So, for example, a squib could use it because they do have some magic within them. But I don't think it would work very well. Okay, them so you have
3: to have the genetic predisposition for magic that wizards like Harry and Hermione and Ron would have. Okay.
0: Or even someone like um, Arabella Fick. Okay. She does have some because she could see the Dementors. Okay. But she doesn't have enough to do full-format.
3: Full full you, full you have to have some genetic predisposition for magic to be able to use the Gillyweed. Okay. Muggles cannot use it. Fine.
1: Sounds a bit like a, a potion of water breathing basically.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. But I mean, a potion anybody can use. You drink it, boom. It's unless you're like a construct or a plant. If we're gonna go the OGL parlance, yeah. Then if you drink it, it works. This gillyweed apparently only is that's potent it, with somebody with that genetic predisposition. It's my magic.
0: interpretation of it, because we on, we did only see the one appearance of that.
3: Okay. So that would be a GM Fiat using that, okay.
0: Probably, yes. Yeah.
3: Uh, let's see, you also have listed here Sheath of Air, which I'm assuming that's just like any type of magic that would allow a bubble of air to be around
2: you? Well, uh, specifically uh, in D&D, there's an item called the um, the uh, Amulet of Adaption, which puts a sheath of air around you that allows you to breathe at any depth. Oh, yeah. So it will automatically handle and, yep. anything having to do with pressure and, and making the compensations of gases or whatever. Now, okay. of course, it's magic. So, you know, we don't get into the physics of how, you know, air composition interacts with the body at depth. You know, uh, but in any case, it's uh, like I said, it's, it's magic. It does its job. We can assume that uh, the magic takes care of oh, those, those kinds of issues.
3: Bruce, speaking of OGL parlance and pressure, Uh I found something on the Pathfinder SRD page. It's a PF... Oh, gosh. Let me get the exact URL. D20PFSRD.com under aquatic terrain. Now. Yes. Um... And it's, it's an OGL Pathfinder source page Excuse me So I decided to look up because The concept of, okay, you have to deal with Not only breathing You also have to deal with the pressure of certain depths Like let's say something's in the Marianas Trench And the Bureau has to go out Marianas Trench is like five miles deep You're going to be hitting some serious pressure The farther you get down A Pathfinder OGL supplement called Cerulean Seas by Alluria Publishing came out in 2010. Has D20 rules for the bends. Uh, Happens when gas bubbles, nitrogen, appears in the bloodstream from rapid depressurizing. While within the range of death tolerance, a character doesn't have to worry about this effect. Their body is well accustomed to changes in pressure in that range. However, if a creature becomes acclimated to a pressure that is much different than he is used to and quickly ascends to shallower depths, this change in pressure can cause terrible effects. Plants, constructs, and undead are immune to the bends. 100 feet per minute is the maximum rate of ascension to avoid any ill effects. A character can rise 100 feet in one round without any ill effects so long as he doesn't raise another 100 feet for at least a minute. A character that rises more than 100 feet in a minute will take 1d4 constitution damage per additional 100 feet traveled
2: in that minute. Which is grossly under underestimating the amount of damage or the amount of duration. Because well, usually no, the way it works is, is that uh. you, you go up that 100 feet and then you spend a couple of minutes exercising at that depth. To get, you know, to get all the bubble, you know, all of it out of your bloodstream. And then you continue to ascend. But hey, it's a game. Nobody wants to wait around three minutes every time they go up hundred feet.
3: Well, it, I, I see that because I, I was talking about when I found this and it was the ooh shiny when I when I found this rule, I'm talking with Pixie about an hour ago. And I'm sitting there going, well, 1d4 con damage.
2: That if makes sense.
3: Take, well, if you take four con damage. That means you're losing two hit points per die. If yeah. you're a high enough level and you use the massive damage threshold from like D20 Modern, you could feasibly knock yourself out from that con damage if it's high enough
2: and then drown. Well, so, I don't yes. think that that applies, Trav. I don't think that con damage and the loss of hit points is treated as if it is, in fact, taking damage like someone slugged you with something.
3: Uh, I'd have to look up on the massive damage threshold rules, and we can. We'll get. I'll get back to you on that at a later time. But yeah, I would think if that's true, and and I I would think that if you take damage, well, for massive damage threshold, for those of you who may not know, in D, it was introduced in um, D twenty modern. modern. If you take in one attack. Hit points equal to or greater than your con score. So let's say if I have a con of 13 and somebody hits me for 14 points of damage after damage reduction, all that's gone. I have to make a DC 15 fortitude save and it's plus one to that DC for every five points over that MDT. If I fail that fort save, I immediately drop to negative one hit points and am unconscious and then I will need to make a stabilization roll.
1: Oh, and Trav, because I found the page you were looking at, you know, thank you, Google, uh, there's, there's a link for that, Constitution Damage. Damage to your Constitution score causes you to take penalties on your Fortitude saving throws. Oh, yes, that's right. In addition, multiply your total hit dice by this penalty and subtract that amount from
2: your current and total hit points. Yeah. So you do lose hit points. No, yeah, to... we're not talking about that. We're just talking about whether it invokes the loss of hit points due to con damage invokes the massive damage threshold rule, and I say no. But well,
0: whether or not, oh, I, I don't.
2: But well, yeah, let's. I think we're getting a little too, again, too nerdy on this. Well,
0: I... yeah, but I would even so, the, the loss of hit points alone. Whether or not it triggers the massive damage threshold maybe enough to knock you out anyway.
3: Well, it depends on how high of a level of character you are. Depends I mean, on
0: yeah. how high of a level of character, and depends on how badly you got your butt kicked. I,
3: I just found that rule because in this list that Bruce generated the last time, he brought up the concept of the bends. Those bubbles in your bloodstream, it's extra nitrogen. And so I, I was like, okay, since I'm, I, I still run the D20 gamut here... I wanted to look that up and just get the D20 because I was not aware of any rules for nitrogen narcosis immediately. I mean, I could have done research through the <clears throat> voluminous amounts of PDFs that I have on on that particular system. And these two other gentlemen have seen the folders at my disposal. So, yeah, I wanted to try to find something. And this okay. supplement here for Pathfinder...
0: I have seen your extensive collection of PDFs. Yeah, I've, I've lost I've seen count. your extensive collection of not working, non-functional <laughs> PDFs as well.
3: But still, yeah, I just wanted to find something to allow for, because our last edition of Bureau 13 was in the D20 OGL system, so this would be the rule that I would use for this.
0: And this would go along with it.
3: And as I said, D4 con damage, yeah, that's, you're taking con damage. That's always bad.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I mean, obviously, the only way that you could do it, I I would assume that the necklace of adaptation allows for pressure because it says you can also survive in a vacuum. And even in vacuum, it's not just temperature and atmosphere. It's also pressure you have to deal with out in space. So, <laughs>
0: the they, they just hand-waved wa- so hand they, it. They hand-waved that and... So, yeah, it... Yeah, necklace of adaptation be
3: very good for using underwater. Uh, there's also the helm of underwater action.
1: Right uh, now, one thing you have to understand about decompression: uh, if you come up way too fast, like they did in the movie Abyss, you just don't get bends; you explode because you have that much air pressure. I mean, we're talking in, in, in the movie; they were down about what, a thousand feet or more. That's a, that's about 20 atmospheres internally trying to get out it comes out however way it can and more or less it will probably make you pop like a balloon
0: <laughs> oh okay yeah, yeah. Mm.
2: well you, you wouldn't pop like a balloon John you would uh, you'd basically look like somebody who'd been in a microwave you know with with with, with lots of stuff fizzing out your orifices you know it, the difference is that's that it would be that's a cold that's heat
1: bad. That's <laughs> that's 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 <laughs> There was actually an accident. The Biford Dolphin. It was a drilling rig, and they were doing a uh, deep-sea work on it, and one of the hatches on the decompression chamber blew at nine atmospheres. It killed everybody, and, and it killed, like, uh, what? I think it, it killed seven and left one person alive, and they basically, yeah, the, they had to use a bucket and a mop in some cases to clean them up <laughs> just nine atmospheres, but that's all at once. Well, yeah, sudden change like that because
3: our body has own, its own internal pressure. Yeah. Pressure differential. Yeah. It,
1: yeah. Yeah. And, and and then the inverse works as well. Now, um, we really can't go, you know, really much more than a few hundred feet before you have to really have to worry about you know, uh, um, uh, mixture gases and high pressure gases just to be able to go to depth. But say you use yeah, 700 feet. So say you're, you're down, say, 2000 feet, which is about 61 atmospheres, but you're using some sort of potion of water breathing, which sort of, you know, it doesn't fill your lungs and fill your body with get, with, with water. It just simply allows you to breathe water and get oxygen out of it. However that works. It wears off. It's called explosive compression. Imagine a right tomato being squeezed in your hand. <laughs>
2: Oh yeah. Oh. It just well no. It just depends on whether or not you actually have a um, uh, an air supply to provide that kind of thing for you. But but I, I do understand your point. If it suddenly was to change, then yeah, you wouldn't you know you wouldn't have the um, the well they, they are dissolved gases in your bloodstream. And again, liquids are uh, th- are mostly incompressible. The only places you really have to worry about are going to be your ears, you know, your the air canals in your body, your your sinuses, and stuff like that. If all of a sudden your intestine went flat, it wouldn't that would not that would be uncomfortable, but it wouldn't kill you. It, it, but still, it's sixty atmospheres. I mean, that's that's a lot of
1: pressure all at once. I mean, it will probably break your ribs. I will point you to the Mythbusters episode where they found out if you—if a hard hat diver lost pressure, he gets put into his helmet.
0: Oh, I saw that episode. Now it's my turn to go,
3: ew. <laughs> By the way, I looked up in D20 Modern. <laughs>
0: no,
3: um, hit it, was, point,
0: it was gross.
3: Hit point loss due to con damage apparently does not apply to the massive damage threshold rule. It has to be an attack. Yeah, so that that would be GMB out if the GM really wanted to be <clears throat> a phallic cranium, and we'll put it that way in the, the clinical term. So let's see, what else we had here?
2: Um, under magic. We're still continuing under magic.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Shape changing. Yeah, you, you, you mentioned the, 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 the trope neighbor for this one, Mr. Limpet. Get turned to a fish, but even fish have dial that
3: way back machine, John.
1: <laughs> but even fish have limits. I mean, basically, fish that swim at the surface really can't go to really deep depths for the same reason we can't, because uh, uh, they're not they're not designed for the deep depths. So you'd have to be shape changed for the right critter for the right for the right depth level.
2: Well, they found, discovered that fish that were brought up from very low depths. Okay, had a problem because they actually did have uh, organs that were used for navigation and for equilibrium, and that they got to a certain height, and the fish would either you know die because th- these things would rupture. Or, you know, they would become unable to navigate themselves. So, but they found that if they were to go in and, and put a pipette of some kind, lance it in some way, into these particular organelles, then the fish were just fine when they were brought up to higher dip- depths. So, it, again, you're, you're, you're hypothesizing something that really only is a, is a situation where it's uncontrolled or very, very rapid, you know, changes in pressure.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, well, most fish, most fish that swim near the surface have swim bladders, so that basically kind of limits. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. yeah. how deep they can really go, though. I mean, you're not going, you're not going to find Dory at ten thousand at at ten
2: thousand fathoms. Well, of course not. You would be able to see Dory at ten thousand fathoms. I mean, almost everything that takes place in movies, like, for example, The Incredible Mr. Limpet, he probably isn't down more than 500 feet. Yep,
1: which is where most of the life is in the ocean anyway, so...
2: Yeah, in the top, you know, 1% of the height.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Basically, it's uh, 600 feet, and beyond that, you start losing light. It starts getting darker, and then it basically goes black. So, yeah, it's, it's a very thin layer that most everything lives in. Uh, but there's life all the way down to the bottom. There's stuff laying down at the bottom of the, of the Marianas Trench.
2: Yeah, and it also depends an awful lot on whether we're talking about supernatural or whether we're, you know, we're just talking about the natural world, because you know, there's there could be all kinds of things down there that nobody knows because nobody's seen. The ocean bottom is one of the least mapped. And explored areas uh, that we know of, even compared to the other worlds on our solar system.
1: Yeah, and I, I like your last one, which is just don't need it. I mean, we we talked about it already constructs that golem works just fine on the bottom of the, of the ocean as he does at the top. <clears throat> does make a difference to him?
2: And there are other there are creatures that probably don't care that uh, are protected by alternate reality. Uh, things like, for example, um, vampires. You know, they probably yep. don't even feel it.
1: Undead, yeah, yeah, yeah. Vampires down there going, "Well, this is a problem."
2: <sighs> Except he, he's he's mouthing the words because there's no air, <laughs> right? So, and, and and you're right. I mean, you know, skeletons, ghosts, uh, astral projections. Uh, there's lots of you know. There's you know. No one ever thinks about doing an astro projection down into the ocean. They always think about using it to go over to you know a frat house or a sorority house. You know, dude, what kind of games do you run? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I would thought be the Kardashians, but you know. <laughs> yeah.
3: But yeah, um, it said plants, constructs, and undead. So yeah, anything that would be considered plant life. Also, yeah, just.
2: Yeah, um, and by constructs, um, we, we don't just mean um, things like golems or elementals. Okay, we're also talking about robots. Well, yeah.
1: And we've sent many constructs already down to those depths already in the real world. <laughs> you know, we had, there are a lot of ROVs that have gone down to the bottom of the mer- of, of the Challenger Deep. I mean, we send them down there, and they've uh, they've they've uh, looked around. Uh, it takes for bl- bloody forever to get down there. I mean, it's like what a fourteen hour trip, I think.
2: Wow. <laughs> well, it's entirely on how fast you want to do it, and 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 you know what the uh, issues are. But uh, but staying with the magic, you now you know let's let's talk about some of the things that that we have in our legends. Okay, the mermaid's kiss, for example. Yep or
1: just hanging, uh, hanging on to a mermaid from Splash.
2: <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but I do know that I've seen lots of, um, I've read lots of stories where if a mermaid kisses you, then she can take you down into the depths with her. Now, you, a lot of times bad things happen when that happens, but well, still, yeah. you know, it's it's, it's, a, it's an
1: option. Yeah. in my luck, it'll be like, yeah,
2: I can give you a kiss and
1: take you down there. Come over here and let me just give you a spooch. <laughs>
2: Doesn't say it has to be a a, a, a opposite gender. That's true. Well, mer person, merfolk, and you know, uh, and I don't know whether you'd want to consider the people who who in the Marvel comics, for example, you know, um, some Mariners people. You know, I don't know whether I don't think they're actually considered mer people. No, other than the fact is that they live in the ocean.
1: They, they follow like that 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 the label of Atlantean.
2: Yeah they, yeah, they don't they have legs and 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 arms and they might have some finning going on, but it's most, still mostly the the normal you know limb arrangement that we're expecting. You know, we got nobody swimming around with fourteen foot long tails like we did in Splash. Yeah, I mean they they, they have fish ears, you know, fish
1: ear, you know, fit with fish fin ears, but you know that's more or less, yeah. yeah the,
3: I, uh, what do what do we what do they call it? Primate physiology. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: humanoid or humanoid physio- or humanoid body form or body plan.
2: Yeah, you got to be careful about that primate physiology, considering how many things are not from Earth, but they look just like us.
3: Well, I mean, you know, head, two arms, two legs, symmetrical. Right. Two that's, eyes. that's humanoid.
1: Yeah. I will say though that the Atlanteans are 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 part mammals. They give birth live. No, the females all have bosoms. They produce milk. We, I never never found out. it's it's a it's a common conceit in most in most you know it, it's a female whatever it doesn't matter if it's a reptile it's it's you know it has a mammalian figure a primate mammalian
2: figure. Right. Yeah. Well, if you watch uh, Everyday Life with Monster Girls, they all do have those uh, attributes the the secondary female female characteristics yeah yeah but
1: that's but that's thinking thing other magic things so we talked about potions the sheath of air um oh it, magic spells I mean there are magic spells that they they can give you with the ability to uh, breathe water, but they have a definite duration you know was it ten minutes twenty minutes thirty minutes
2: it's usually uh, no it, minute time per level. Well, yeah. first it just depends on on your what your sources, John, because when it comes down to it, you know if you're gonna go by D and D, they included the ex, you know extend you know aspect to spells, which like, treats them as if they're like four levels higher, but now they last all day. So you know it's it really comes down to you know how you want to do it. I and mean, if you're talking about mythological type items, I'm sure that they last as long as they need to. I doubt the helm of underwater action would ever, ever run out And I believe that the, um, uh, it doesn't provide air But I do believe that the, uh, spell of free action Allows you to move through water just as if it's not there
3: Yeah, freedom of movement, yes Um, basically, yeah, you are not impeded by Because you take underwater penalties Let's see if I, did I save the page? Yes, I did. Okay, there is Usually Water Currents, Riptide Undertow, Whirlpools, uh, where is... I just saw the thing for free of Movement. Yes! Uh, combat adjustments underwater. Your damage for slashing or bludgeoning and piercing are all normal. You're not off balance. Your movement rate is normal. Now, if you have, like, a normal swim speed or a successful swim check, um... Minus two to attack, and half damage for slashing and bludgeoning, piercing. Okay, normal. Movement normal for having the swim speed. Successful swim check, quarter or half. Um, successful swim check lets a creature move one quarter speed as a move action, or one half at speed as a full round action. So, yeah, it it freedom of movement sort of... Gets rid of all those penalties and 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 allows you to move as if your primary environment is underwater.
1: Yeah, I'm just doing a quickie look in um myth myth and uh, other mythologies. There's a Scottish one. The where is it? I found it. Back up here. The yep. Nope. There we go. No, That's not it. Sorry. Oh, there we go. The co co co. Koholint it's a special hat that allows you to swim, basically live and live and breathe underwater. It's nice. It's used by a, a creature called the Marrows, but if they, but you can, but the uh, it looks like people probably can use it.
3: Oh yeah, Marrows and a uh, Pathfinder—they're underwater trolls, basically. Yeah, yeah, Josie, you know, like that uh, Captain Warless
1: in a ship on that river. Yeah. Oh,
3: that
0: even well, you No, know,
1: we actually killed those quite effectively. Yeah. And that That's just a standard list. But yeah, I mean, there's various... Oh, I imagine there's probably a few Greek myths that were lost about various things that would let you breathe underwater and so forth.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure Poseidon probably had something. Yeah.
1: And if you want to talk about other ways of getting down there, you, you know, just... You know, we are talking about letting you go down by yourself. How about other means like, oh, say... The giant snail from Dr. Doolittle. It's a living, it's, it's a living, a living submersible. That's true.
3: Well, like Jonah and the whale. Yeah. Jonah survived within the whale and swallowed him. Yeah. You know. So I'm sure. There and,
2: are, and Pinocchio.
3: Yeah. There are
0: yeah, plenty Armstrong.
3: of, D, yeah. There are plenty of D&D creatures that. You can survive within them. Heck, there, in some of the rules I've even read, you could like set up a campfire and a camp within it because. You, it, <laughs> it, it, yeah, I know. Having a campfire uh, sitting there on a whale's tongue. Yeah, I oh,
0: know. No, 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 no. What? That, that, that was, again, Monstro, Pinocchio.
1: Okay, yeah. And it was more or less way past his tongue. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you there are.
3: Loads of mythical creatures and games that allow you to reside within them and at least be transported underwater.
1: Mm-hmm. There's probably a specialist team in the Bureau, Team Nemo. That's made up of people who were basically ex-seals, free divers. These are guys, this is what they do. did for a living before they joined the Bureau. They get better toys now to do it with. Oh, yeah. And they have all the really cool toys. They have all the PL7 stuff that you—it's har- hard for everyone else to get. <laughs> you know, all the really good stuff. You know, like?
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that—that that kind of thing with the whole.
1: They look all the magic stuff. Say, Magic's great for getting out of trouble, but does you? But you know what? We would rather have technology that works all the time. Technology that can be fixed. Fixed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And but you know if, if they need to escape uh, no one says you don't actually have like a life vest with two potions of water breathing on it and a potion of buoyancy they get back to the surface real quick if they have to without any other gear.
3: <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sure that they use the magic as a fail safe but yeah, most likely they definitely
0: because pre- They probably would definitely prefer the technology
3: Well, because well. technology, if you have enough skill, you just get a toolkit and you're fine Magic, you need an artificer to, to work on that if it breaks for some reason Yeah,
1: and you can always run into somebody who can go dispel
3: Yeah, if I had a water-breathing spell cast on me and all of a sudden some underwater siren uses dispel magic I'm going to be coughing up water
2: yeah, right. Well, oh. you know, as far as someone screwing with your methodology, you know, there's someone can always cast torpedo too, and that handles the, that that's equally bad against the tech.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Dude. Yeah, but yeah. So yeah, because Bruce, you yeah, know, the first thing you have there is like the pressure hulls and I'm thinking we probably should work our way outwards. So this is old tech. I mean, we've done the, uh, the, one of the oldest suits out there, uh, uh, atmospheric diving suits. Uh, the state of the art is the ADS two thousand. It's good to about two thousand feet, uh, and its main main limitation, yeah, its main limitation is not pressure. It's the joints. It has sliding it has sliding joints. And to keep those things watertight is a real female canine, and and at and at that that pressure, yeah. If, if one of those things were to pop, it cuts your arm off at that point, or, or your neck.
3: You I mean it has like irising valves that just seal the limb, or does the pressure do that?
1: Oh, the water
2: pressure. That's a that's a water that's a water knife. Ow! <laughs> Yeah, but you know, when you get down to those kinds of depths, most of the time I've seen that you know, if if they're actually in a pressure hole, which is where you are maintaining surface normal pressure on the inside and holding back all of the water pressure on the outside. Uh, they actually use the quota Waldos. They have you know mechanical you know grabbers and manipulators yeah. and things you know uh, possibly electronic, but mechanical is more reliable uh, to, to you know to reach out and do whatever they need to do. And the person inside is basically just you know moving those things around in a safe, dry environment. <laughs> Not
3: like that underwater tank in the one Saturday
1: game, Josie.
0: We know how that turned out. Oh well, yeah.
1: Yeah, but this is tech that goes back in time. Though um, uh, there was a fully enclosed uh, the the, 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 term, uh, the ad, uh, atm- atmospheric dive suit ADS ADSs go back to 1856. There was a fully enclosed one uh, made by uh, uh, Laudner D Phillips. How um, it doesn't say how deep how deep it could go, but the the one everyone knows about those the one built by the Karma noli brothers. It's the suit from Bioshock. With all the little, little, the little round, round uh, viewports all, all over it. That's a hard suit. Uh, that's another name for them hard suits. Basically, it's one atmosphere. It used sliding joints and it could go down to, I think it said. Oh, it doesn't say how deep it could go. Shoot. But it could basically definitely go a lot deeper than the other other methods. The, the other method was, of course, hard hat diving. The, the uh, diving suit, you know, the guy wearing...
3: bulbous helmet with the hose coming in from the top and everything. Yeah. Right.
0: Well I said, I saw that episode and how they did it. It was gross. Well,
3: I mean, just those old suits where you had the big round yeah. helmet and the hose, where you had to have that pump continually... And if anything happened to that pump,
0: nope.
2: Yep. Well, you, you, okay, yeah. the good helmets had valves. If something happened to that pump, then the valve would shut, and you would yeah. keep the pressure inside the suit, and you wouldn't have that problem. Right. Then you would have to worry about basically suffocating. But yeah. if you had time to uh, go get up to the surface, which is also one of the reasons why they uh, they carried a lot of, of weights on themselves, basically, so they could hold themselves down, but also they could drop them if necessary Ballast. and get up to the yeah. surface very quickly.
0: That's important for those. Yeah, and depending
1: on the time period, there may or may not be a decompression chamber on the ship.
2: Yeah, most likely. No, no. Most likely, they didn't. The real solution was they put. They would take them out of the a uh, faulty piece of equipment, and they would put them into a new suit, and they'd shove them back down there to where the bends would abate, and then they would slowly decompress their way back up to the surface the correct way.
0: Ah. Oh. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, no.
0: I get it.
1: But I, I, I imagine that the early Bureau would actually, because we had a lot of navigable waters, we had the Great Lakes.
3: Mississippi River, oh yeah.
1: Oh yeah, the barrel would have gotten a hold of one of these ADS, early ADS suits and improved upon it, and improved upon it. So while, well, the, yeah, well the best one right now is when they, is owned by the Navy, the ADS 2000. I imagine the one that's been tinkered on by Robertson or or his nautical equivalent
2: is a lot better. <laughs> Well, there's a lot of reasons why it would be a lot better, John. Prim- you know, first of all, it would be that he has better materials to work with. Okay, so therefore, you can get more uh, for the same weight. You can protect yourself against a lot more depth, especially because again, we're still talking about pressure suits. OK, and and uh, there's a possibility if you if you considering how much that Robertson has available to him, that he could even have force fields available to him where you're literally floating around in the center of a bubble of air that's being transported along, you know, by some kind of of drive. And, you know, and whether or not you can reach through the force field or whether it just sits out there and allowing you to view. OK, it's. You know, it's the, the best thing about it is is that you don't have to worry about uh, how what the, the depth is. I mean you basically know that you know, the, the force field could take so much pressure, therefore it's gonna be good for X amount of depth. Now, the biggest problem about force fields is that because of this depth issue, if someone sets off an explosion nearby it can create what's called overpressure which is additional pressure which might be able to breach that force field yeah if that should happen that's basically like you were talking about those that those water knives these water jets spears would come blasting in it'd be just like you got hit with a shotgun blast yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. And, and, and the other thing I would mention, folks like the group and team, team Nemo, these are again, something they use only in
2: emergencies because the first thing they do is keep looking at the battery charge. Well, it depends on what your power source is, John. If you have plenty of power, it's not, that's not really something you have to worry about. I'm talking I'm talking guys who basically did did this for a living.
1: They were they, who constantly checked their oxygen levels and checked the pressure levels uh, on their suits. They'd be checking the barrier and, and uh, religiously to make sure they're not getting anywhere near that little red line.
3: again, d twenty parlance. If these guys are used to p l five tech, that's what they've been trained with, that's what they know. If you still hand if Ray Robertson or, or the daughter's name is Ramona, you said Ray John, you said Ray Robinson basically cloned a daughter for himself and named her yes, Ramona. Seriously. Okay. Ray or Ramona decide, okay, we're gonna give you this hot new underwater tech. It don't matter what level of tech you get. These guys are trained, always watch your battery. You could have the the underwater power armor or whatever powered by a
2: zero point battery.
3: They're still going to be checking the fuel gauge because that's how they were trained.
2: <laughs> well, Trav, I mean, it's when you work. drive a car, okay, you're get. supposed to check the uh, the all the mirrors at least once a minute. Oh yeah, so, yeah. I mean, that's just part of using any kind of equipment that has you know, you know, think uh, you just you check the things that need to be checked. Yeah. Right. On, on, but if you spend all your time looking at that sort of thing, then you're going to end up you Know having some fish man come up behind you and bash your head in with a piece of coral,
1: yeah. One thing about the suits like the, the newt suit and the uh, ads 2000 is you basically they, they're actually more or less one man subs because if I remember correctly watching the uh the first newt suit, it actually has a pair of motors in the back, and it basically it drives you around and you can maintain your buoyancy. Uh, neutral buoyancy at any depth, and it basically, it's, it's, you don't swim, you just drive, you know, and get around uh, in these things. Now, the nice thing about these suits is that you really don't need knowledge diving to use them that much. A, a good course and good training, and you can be able to use many suits. It's when you get into the deeper depths that requires use of like scuba, uh, scuba gear and, and special air mixtures, you have to be a trained diver to know how to use them properly. That's where the knowledge, uh, the skill, knowledge diving comes in handy. Uh, that means you're, you're an accredited diver. You know how to deal with this stuff.
2: Right. Well, that depends, John, on whether or not the tech is high enough. See, one of the things that makes a difference between tech levels is that higher level tech does the same thing as lower level tech, except it does it safer, more, and in, in, in easier. We, we talked about this. We talked about what computers could do. You know, the the programs we have today do mostly the same things that the programs did when they first came out, but you don't have to know a whole lot of obscure commands. You have this nice interface, you know, you have macros, sometimes it's even smart enough, you know, to figure out what you're going to be doing. You know, don't be talking about Clippy to me.
1: (laughs) Oh, you read my mind. Yeah, I know you, John.
2: No, it you sounds
1: know. like you're talk you're it sounds like you're asking John not to talk about this stuff. Find different
2: ways to tell John not to talk about this stuff. Click here. Yes, you know. All right. Anyways, okay. uh yeah, yeah, uh I'm sure sure that uh Cortina would have uh, a special uh, Hey, you you know, uh, potato potato, John. <laughs> So, but one of the big advantages about using something like a force field is that, you know, if you're going to great depths, if you have a suit that's rated for 2,000 feet or more, all right, that suit is so strong that outside of, you know, breaching type of explosive attacks, you're pretty darn safe against almost anything out there that might try to hurt you. They just simply won't be able to bring to bear enough force, enough whatever, to to hurt you, unless they actually do have some kind of magical attack,
1: or you're operating outside of its its um, its envelope of opera you know operations. You know, yes, you're going assume that that Ray Robinson did Scotty, and there's actually thirty three. You can go. Thirty-three percent deeper before you're really in trouble. But the trouble is, you're redlining it. At that point, it doesn't take a whole lot of explosive to make the suit crumple like, like a tin can on like a tin can behind under a wheel of a car.
2: Yeah. Uh, okay. Agree, John. That if you push any piece of equipment to its limits, it doesn't take much to cause right. it, to it to be damaged. And I'm saying this because I'm a player who would do that. Well, I'm thinking in terms of you have somebody who has a suit that's good to 2,000 feet, but he's swimming around in it about 200 feet. Well, okay, that, that suit's going to provide you with a, a, a decent amount of protection. It's, it's going to play just as well at 200 feet as it does at 2,000 feet.
1: Yeah, and it, and you could survive, uh, being near—not close, but say near within like twenty, twenty, thirty feet of an ex- underwater explosion at that point. Not a big one, but yeah, you know, not—you probably could survive that. The suit might be able to go, ah, oh, okay, survive that, and not and not collapse at two hundred feet. If you're at two thousand feet, explosion goes off, yeah, that's going to make 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 a mess.
2: If it's rated at 2,000 feet and the explosion goes off, it's bad. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, but, but you know, and that's, and again, that's what I'm saying. That's what the advantages of having equipment that's rated for great depths is that you don't actually have to use it at great depths. It's still useful at, at lower depths.
1: Yeah. And I imagine the force field. Okay. You, okay I, I'm, I'm going back and turning the way back machine, the animated Star Trek, and they had those little life belts basically you know, they basically had little force fields around their bodies. They actually, you know, they they were like wearing mitts when it came to working with their fingers, but you still had fingers to work with. It was was more or less skin-tight
2: force fields. It's nice, isn't it? (laughs) They also had those in Magnus Robot Fighter, too. You know, this is definitely fantasy hand-waving, okay? But I wanted the force fields that they had in Undersea Fleet by Frederick Poole because those force fields used a trick of physics of some kind to, to make the pressure fight itself. You know, no matter what depth you went to, you use your uh, normal pressure for a surface. And not only that, it didn't take an awful lot of power for that to happen. It was almost like a catalyst. It was it, it was kung fu leverage against pressure.
1: Oh, that, that reminds me of, and this it really dates me, it was a uh, one of the robot stories by Isaac Asimov. Uh, some person developed it was in a prior story they found there was life on Jupiter, and they're living on the surface. tells you how long ago the story was written and uh and, but the trouble is that's tens of thousands of atmospheres, and they realize there 's no way you can visit them, and there's no way they can visit us until some smart because when you try to make a force field that strong, it shorts out. Well, this guy realized oh i, I just got to make a, a force field ten times that strong for just a very short period of time, and flicker it. The flicker is such that there's no way for the air inside or outside to get in or get out. But you can make this really, really super strong force field, which would let you go down to the surface of Jupiter. (laughs) But, you know, because you're only piling a million watts of power per square inch for a picosecond. (laughs)
3: Yeah, for right. something like that, you would need something like a zero point cell, or you
2: know. Well, yeah, you know, in the story, I think they had you know, atomic, you know, batteries and such. Yeah. So, it, but but John's talking about it, without that, it was like you know an astronomical amount of energy required.
1: Yeah, and and we are definitely saying implying that weird science operates on in the Bureau universe. So this is stuff that. It works great in the beer universe. You take it to Earth Prime, it no work. Yeah, but it will work on
2: Victorian Prime somewhat because they have weird they have weird science also. It oh. just depends on how how far you want to push it. Most submarines, most submersibles, most uh, the thing that they took down to the bottom of the Marianne's Trench, you know, with Cameron in it. Okay, these were all pressure holes. You know, the idea was that. It, again, you don't have to worry about the bends We don't have to worry about nitrogen narcosis Any of those kinds of things Because we're using earth normal atmosphere When we're letting the strength of our enclosure Protect us from the pressure at that depth Okay, when you go, When you stop doing that When you don't have anything protecting you from the pressure Then you have to compensate for it And that's where you get into A lot of interesting physiological kinds of things so, for example, scuba and rebreathers—they use compressed air to fight depth pressure. And how they do this is, is that as you go down, uh, your tank is rated at many, many atmospheres of pressure. And as you go down, you're breathing in air, uh, and the valve will let as much uh, as much pressure through as necessary to compensate for the air you're, you know the, what's around you so if you go down four, uh, uh 120 feet that's four atmospheres and so your one hour air supply is now only worth 15 minutes because it is now been compressed and you're still breathing it wow. at the same amount of volume and so it uses it up so that's why going below 100 feet uh is usually unless you get really high pressure rigs is usually a, a real limitation because you literally can't do it and get back up to the surface on the amount of air you have available to you now that's with scuba okay uh where you basically breathe in and blow it out okay now if you're using a rebreather then it's a little easier because then all you're doing is taking Oxygen, and we're adding oxygen to the air, and we're rebreathing the same amount, and we're scrubbing the uh, CO two out of the air because that's also a bad thing if it gets too high. So you go down a hundred feet, okay? You know your air now, you, the air that you're breathing now has four times as much oxygen as you actually need because it's been compressed. So, you really don't, you know, you actually, you know, don't have to worry that much about it. You can keep breathing it for quite some time. And so you can get the full air amount. Now, where you run into problems is that the uh, other gases, the nitrogen, which is going to be most of the atmosphere that you're breathing, it begins to dissolve, it dissolves into your bloodstream. Okay and once it gets ab- above a certain titer is I uh, probably is the right term for it uh, a percentage of uh, uh, dissolved in your bloodstream it actually starts acting as a neurological poison Ooh and that's what nitrogen narcosis is and so nitrogen of course narcosis means it's nar- narcotic it affects your your judgment it affects your perceptions it can ultimately kill you and the funny thing about it is that they did tests, and the, and the break point, the changeover point where it starts actually really affecting you is very is very knife point. I mean, literally, you're going 30 feet further down, and you're really starting to feel it. You move 30 feet up, you're fine. Now, these, are, of course, trained divers. You know, they're used to dealing with depths and stuff like that. So I don't know about your average Joe suddenly going down there. They might get affected at much lower depth. I don't know.
1: Oh, and you also can't use pure oxygen because then you run into the o- problem of oxygen poisoning with that much pressure being
2: used. Right. Well, eventually, if you kept going down, you would run into oxygen poisoning, which is what happens. So most of the time when they try to go further down than that, they replace the nitrogen with helium because helium is an inner gas and you won't get you know, it won't cause uh, that narcoleptic effect. But what happens, as John just mentioned, is you get down far enough, the, a- the oxygen becomes so concentrated, okay, that you end up becoming, you know, poisoned by the oxygen. So these, again, these really advanced rigs that use this, as you go further down, they increase the percentage of – they de- basically, they decrease the percentage of oxygen and, therefore, increase the percentage of of uh uh, of helium, so when you get down, like say, a uh, hundred atmospheres, you're only getting like one hundredth of the amount of oxygen, you know, in that oxygen, that breathing mixture.
1: Bruce described there as, is is a, a, a current tech rebreather, which basically scrubs out uh, CO2 and leaves about 30, 30 to forty percent oxygen that wasn't consumed, and then that gets re- you know fixed up. I imagine Ray Arbison goes, "That's nice. We'll scrub the carbon out." And leave the oxygen behind. And that allows you to have smaller supplemental oxygen tanks, which is nice. It means that his rigs weigh less because it's scrubbing, the car- it's scrubbing, like, say, 90% of the carbon out of the, of the air. And then uh, and the rest of CO2 is being scrubbed out as well. So you're turning the carbon dioxide back into oxygen. Yeah. And you're getting a nice—and they have a nice—so in his in this suit, the limit is the carbon filter. When that thing gets full, it's time to come back to
2: the surface. <laughs> Right. The other method of dealing with it is to simply go and take the oxygen that surrounds you and break it up into hydrogen and oxygen and just feed that in. Okay. If you have a carbon scrubber, you probably can do the same thing and, cat- and catalyze water into a hydrogen and oxygen. John's solution means that you don't have to deal with the carbon scrubbing. You can just go and automatically go and convert it, so all you end up is, you know, some kind of carbon dust, which is going to be pretty, which is going to be pretty easily containable. You know, it's going to be small, and because uh, it'll car, if it if it it'll come out as a solid, and so therefore you you have it's, it's going to be tiny. So theoretically, you could stay underwater. Uh, for, well, depending upon your power source, because something is uh, is causing that carbon dioxide to change into oxygen and carbon. But assuming you have a a decent power source, you could spend days, if not weeks, underwater using that kind of of, uh, power source. So that would be really good to have. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. And I'm also thinking that this also leads into the, but you still have, you still can't get very deep with that. I think you can get down to 9,000 feet. With uh, uh, with a with a, with various breathing mixtures. Beyond that, it gets really hinky, and you ha- and you can't even if you use specialized breathing mixtures.
3: That's like a mile and a half. That's not exactly you know.
0: That's not that's nothing to sneeze at. Right. right. That's
1: nothing to sneeze at. But you know, to, to get down to the real depths, you either have to use it. We're talking liquid breathing.
3: Now wasn't that in the abyss as well, where there was just sort of this goo that they had to breathe in? Yeah,
1: it's a perf, it's a perf yeah, per perf- fluorocarbon that actually holds more oxygen per per liquid per fluid ounce than blood does. It's really good at this stuff. The problem being, and I know, and the thing is, in the movie. They 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 dipped the rat in the in the liquid. It actually, was that perfluorocarbon? They call it liquid uh, breathing breathing fluid. Cause I can't say the word very well. It's it, it it put in the breathing fluid. What they didn't tell you was they had to pull the rat out fairly quickly because there wasn't much much oxygen in there, and the rat was would have drowned if they had left it in there more than a couple of minutes. Because one, it's hard to breathe. In fact, it's so hard humans can't do it.
2: Yes they yes they can. Well, it's the the stuff is actually serious It's hard to do, but you can do it.
3: Well what, what I remember that part of the movie where the they were they were trying to get the lady to breathe it and he said you used to breathe fluid when you were in the womb. It right. you just have to remember how, basically.
1: Yeah, and the answer to that was you actually weren't breathing fluid when you're a kid in the womb. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, myth. But uh, the other thing where I, ha- I had to sit there and complain about the movie was they weren't talking like this because of the depth they were at. They would have to use breathing mixtures with the pressure they were using.
2: <laughs> All right. <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, they'd be using a lot of helium. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, when Jacques Cousteau put a uh, put, put a diving uh, uh, um, uh, a diving, uh, was a diving. Oh, I can't remember. It. No, no. A, a, I don't know under, what you're talking about. A, a underwater habitat. Yeah. Uh, they were using helium mixtures because it was ju- just deep enough they would have to, they had to use helium. Reading up in this research, they recommend if you're going to do it, you need a, what's called a liquid ventilator, which pretty much means they're running a pipe down your throat and they're pumping because you can't get all the fluid out with, with long power. It has to be pumped out. Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah, so we imagine So what we were talking about after the show, after our last session, was that like something like Team Nemo, they have taps. Basically, there's a tap, uh, on, you know, either under a flap of the skin or or physically on the t- the surface of the skin. They plug the, the 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 hose in, and start pipe pumping it in, and they have a valve to close off their trachea. So it doesn't come out because you don't know want to waste that stuff in the in the stomach and any, any place else. They can just use fresh water for that. And guess what? The neat thing about fresh water? It's denser than seawater.
3: That yeah. That would be yeah, that would be some transhumanism there because you'd have to be having cybernetic plugs and shunts and all that uh
2: yeah, do all sure. that. Oh yeah, well, I'm just just having the uh, wa- the breathing mixture is pretty pretty high tech.
1: Yeah, and and considering that they probably have a shunt to the to the inner ear canal because if you don't actually put water in there, you'll burst your eardrums.
3: Yeah, yeah. Oh no, yeah. I'm
2: sure that as far it, it'd have to go into the sinuses and everywhere else.
1: Sure. Oh yeah, so, th- so they have shunts everywhere, every, every place they could p- potentially collapse. They have a shunt to, you know. Yeah, and there's actually places, I know for this, for my effect, because I, I had a root canal. Uh, there's also uh, sinuses that are closed off, but you still would need to get into them. You actually would have to open the suckers up and put water in them. Uh-
2: <laughs> if you have sinuses that don't work, they would probably fill them with something. Yeah, that's true.
1: But yeah, it pretty much these guys, uh, you know, th- they use these to go down to th- basically to walk at the bottom of the Challenger Deep. These are the guys, you know. The Team Nemo is. Maybe we should talk about Team Nemo at this point. Team Nemo is a specialist team. Uh, as Bruce said, there's probably two shifts of them. They basically spend a week breathing liquid, uh, breathing uh, liquid, breathing mixture, because they can be called anywhere. But, but you know. Your team that's dealing with the uh, with the uh, overactive uh, mollusks deal with it because they're not going to deal with yours. They're going to deal with it like more like someone released the kraken. That's their job. They're basically they're they're rangers. They're 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 uh, McK- McKellen's rangers. Get the name right. McAdams. No. McAdams. McAdams rangers. The, the, these are the people you call in when there is a threat to the United States or a mega level threat.
3: So basically an underwater X team. Yeah. Okay.
2: This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters
1: coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait till you see what's coming next.
3: And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun.
0: Yo, brothers, this was the tri tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and, sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at tri tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be having your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers.